Hard Truth with Tony Schaefer, brought to you by Six Hour Never Settle. Uh, when I was in combat, I had a choice of what I carried. I always carried the best, and I always carried a Six Hour. So I highly recommend Six Hour is your choice for personal protection. The America Out Loud Talk Net Radio Network is our network, also available on the ne- America Out Loud Podcast Network. Check us out at projectsentinel.net and thelondoncenter.org. Uh, more about our organizations and what we do. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Rumble. And, of course, uh, here uh, on our network, we're going to go through a number of things with um, a good uh, friend of mine. I, I love Doug. He's an amazing colonel, Colonel Doug McGregor, uh, uh, the hero of uh, the, uh, the Battle of 73 Easting. Uh, he's written several books, uh, Breaking the Phalanx, which actually changed doctrine in DOD. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, Doug, but they, they credit you for helping shape the Iraq invasion by your thinking in that book and, and, and the, the idea of modularization of the military, which I thought was a great idea. And obviously, you have a new book uh, out, Margin of Victory, Five Battles That Changed the Face of Modern War. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, well, anyway, th- thank you for being here, Doug. Sure, if, if I may, I would uh, revise the introduction in one way. Sure. Say I'm the hero of the 73 Easting. There were 1,100 of us uh, in the 2nd Squadron on the battlefield that day, and I would say there were certainly 1,100 heroes. Yes, sir. No mean the only one or alone. I, it's important uh, to keep that in mind. Yes, sir. Oh, no, I agree. And I, uh, I, I, I would encourage people to go out and check. Uh, I think the History Channel is a great a very accurate rendition of what happened. And um, well, I also wrote a book about it. It's called Warrior's Rage. Warrior's Rage. And that was published, uh, gosh, I think 2009 or 2010, somewhere there. Uh, and, you know, people might find it of interest. And a number of uh, movie producers have expressed an interest in it. But I think it's a tough nut to crack right now. Yeah. I think at some point it will be very interesting to people because it's a positive story about the U.S. military. And I think we could use those. Right. And I, as a matter of fact, I think, I don't know if you know, Doug, I produced something called Chain of Command, which was done by, done by, done by Nat Geo, that uh, basically my old friend uh, uh, Joe Dunford, Chairman Dunford, General Joe Dunford, wanted us to ex- actually show what the Pentagon was doing well during his time as chairman. Which is out, and, and now we've been told we can maybe do a season two of that, which we're working on right now. So I'll, I'll keep you informed on that. So let me start our interview with a quote. Uh, Jonathan Parshall said in his uh, keynote speech uh, titled "1942: The Crux of War." This is what this is what he said: Far fewer wars than one might think have outcomes that are actually preordained. Wars are conditional. Their outcome depends on a chain of events, each affected by ones coming before it and likewise those coming after it. So, Doug, is the outcome of the Ukraine conflict preordained? Well, gosh, I think uh, that historian's uh, quote probably uh, fits most descriptions of dating. I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure it's very illuminating from a military history standpoint. When I uh, wrote Margin of Victory and I picked five battles. I did it with something else in mind. Yeah, I was trying to demonstrate a couple of very important things that Americans absolutely do not understand. In fact, they're not alone, but I think it's a huge problem in the United States. One was most battles, and for that matter, wars are won certainly at least 10 to 20 years before they occur. Right. And that's a function of decisions that are made on organization, leadership, 
training, education, as well as technology and how well you organize to exploit technology, which is something the U.S. Army does very poorly. Uh, the Naval and Air Forces understand that everything for success in their worlds depends upon organizing to exploit technology. Right. We have lots of stupid people who say, well, we equip men. Uh, we don't... Uh, uh, we don't turn it around and say uh, we're, we're uh, manning the equipment. Well, they're wrong. The truth is, if you're successful, it's because you've manned it effectively. Right. You've altered your organization for combat in order to exploit technology that's new and different from what you had before. Right. The second part of this was what has profoundly changed. And the revolution that I was trying to get people to understand is really this revolution of indirect fire or what you would call standoff attack, long-range strike. There are all sorts of names you can use for it. And how the emergence of intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance platforms, literally from seabed to space, linked to a whole range of long-range strike systems. And long-range, frankly to me, as a soldier means almost anything beyond my line of sight. Mm -hmm. uh, all of that results in a profound way that changes the way you fight and organize to fight. And we, we really haven't come to terms with that. We still think in terms of long-range strike that comes from the Air Force or the Navy as augmenting our artillery. We don't right. see ourselves as part of this new paradigm. And that's playing out right now in Ukraine. One of the things that the Russians have done very effectively, and it's not surprising since they were the first after World War II to really see this, is that they have organized their ISR and tightly linked it to a whole range of strike systems, strike systems from automatic mortars all the way up to tactical ballistic missiles, cruise missiles, and so forth, to the right. point where early in the campaign, there was a fight in and around Kharkov, and uh, an apartment block was abandoned, and the Ukrainians went across the street into a mall and set up essentially artillery and fighting positions. When the word reached uh, the Russians, the Russians within seven minutes launched a cruise missile from the Black Sea that targeted and destroyed that uh, mall area with all of the Ukrainians in it. That all took seven minutes. That's impossible in the U.S. military. And that leads you to a whole other discussion about unity of command. Right. Someone at every level, one person, one man is in command. We don't do that. We have multiple single service headquarters augmented to quote unquote cooperate and be joint. And they all fight over turf, access, their role, leadership, and so forth. The so Russia yeah, how to how to do that infinitely better than we did. So that's the thing. I, I look, I've come through the system. I enlisted in 81, was commissioned in 83. I can honestly say that other than uh, going to spy school, going down to Camp Perry to become a spy, none of the education, professional education ever uh, related directly to what I had to do to be effective in combat from um, going through officer basic. No, I'm Doug, I'm completely serious. I oh, mean, look, look, I, I, I am not surprised. I agree with you. And, you know, one of the things that did not endear me to my superiors was that both during Desert Storm and afterwards when I commanded at Fort Riley, the paradigm I adopted was tactical paradigm, battle drills, formations, and so forth, and integration with air power was really very German. Mm -hmm. 
and to a lesser extent, somewhat influenced at the time by Soviet practices. But I effectively abandoned uh, whatever the U.S. Army was preaching, which was never quite clear to me. And as a result, we were successful in the desert in 91. And then the squadron I commanded set a record at the National Training Center, right. which once again did not endear me to anybody. We were the high performance unit in history. But it, again, it was because I simply did not do what the U.S. Army suggested because I never saw that it made any sense. So right. I agree well, with you completely. Yeah, no, I, and you're credited uh, widely for all of the the, tact the the doctrine and tactics you were able to come up with. But I had the same thing because when I went through officer basic as a second lieutenant, they made us uh, jack of all trades. Second lieutenants, we're supposed to know everything in MI. It's like, it's not, that's stupid. And next thing I know, I'm in, I'm doing, chasing terrorists in Europe, doing things I was never trained to do. It's like, you just got to go do it. You got to figure it out. And then same thing uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, my book, Operation Darkheart, which uh, we've, I've, talked to you about a little bit before, Doug, I was literally going to command and general staff college, literally uh, before my, the month before I deployed, learning air land battle, it, knowing full well, I wasn't going to do a thing regarding the flot or FIBA in Afghanistan, yet I was required to to know that to a great level of certainty because, uh, because reasons, I guess, but it, it added absolutely nothing to my capacity to be effective in combat in that current war. And that's what it's like. We were now, now we would probably be well served to go look at the flot and FIBA issues if we're actually going to be f facing a near peer uh, adversary, which now well, we're not. So it's well, just the problem, amazing. The problem is, of course, that Ireland battle was really obsolete when it was adopted. Right. It was essentially an attempt to replicate what the Germans did in the 1940s. There was there was some language from Soviet doctrine incorporated into the thing. You know, deep battle, this sort of business. But it really wasn't what we needed at the time, but it was so such a breath of fresh air compared with the nonsense that already existed that everybody celebrated it. Right. We need a, a fundamental reexamination of everything, not just in light of what we've seen happen in Ukraine, but you can speak also to this very well. You had access to overhead surveillance and a lot right. of information that, frankly, should be available today in most tactical formations, right. there's a way to do that, but we haven't really done it. Right. And we, you know, and one of the things that, well, you're saying that we should be like special operations. Well, in some ways, yes. And that was the point I made in breaking the phalanx right. because I thought they were headed down the right road. But, you know, the sad part is nothing is going to change in the near term, but perhaps this uh, experience in Ukraine will help us a little bit because clearly things there are very different. You have so a, you have a battlefield right now where the Russians sitting in southern Ukraine, and, and keep in mind, they are inching incrementally forward every day. So if you look at the line of contact, 160 miles long, it con continues to move north and west, albeit slowly because they're operating in this tremendous sea of mud, right. which limits your mobility. But you have a situation right now, and I watched this the other day on a video that was sent to me from uh, Ukraine. And it showed a Ukrainian brigade dismounting to walk across the field because if you stay on the roads, obviously they're they're identified. If you're on the road, you're going to be destroyed instantly. But the Russians, of course, found them. This is a, roughly about six to ten miles in front of their defensive positions, or at least their perimeter. They identified where they were, and within two minutes, they were under effective strike from a variety of systems. Right. Again, rocket artillery, art. You know tube artillery and so forth. The entire brigade was annihilated 
in the space of about 60 seconds. This is a different world from the one you and I entered in the oh, army. Oh, I get it. No, Doug, I, I understand. No, but I'm saying when you entered the army and the things that you were taught and the experience that you had, what I had in 91, I mean, I drove through artillery and had artillery shot at me, but what we're talking about is beyond, you know, beyond that in a, in, in a magnitude that most Americans cannot conceive of so that you can completely obliterate something and you can do it because you are protected by layered air defenses. And that's what we don't have. We have no means of protecting ourselves from air and missile attack on the scale of the Russians. Right. And I want to go through and kind of get, get, get to that and the nuclear issue as well. So to that point, um, and to your point, every major success we've had in combat came from gr a great deal of preparation, which I would argue with you, we're not there right now. Plan Orange. Uh, back years ago, Tony Kukolo, Commandant of the War College, Tony and I uh, sat down and said, how do, we, how do we do what you're talking about? How do we try to figure things out ahead of time? And he wanted us to work on a plan orange of the 21st century. Doug, I went to, to Dunford, to Joe Dunford with this. Jo Joe may not be happy with me talking about this, but me and my merry little team of rebels, to include uh, Jim Woolsey and, and uh, Bud McFarland and Dick Newton, uh, Ambassador Hank Cooper, we all sat down and said, we need a grand strategy. And you know who vetoed that, Doug? You want to guess who vetoed the grand strategy? No, no, I, I, I can think of it. A guy named uh, uh, Mattis, James Mattis, said it was too hard to do. I'm, 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 I'm not joking. It was too hard to do. It's like, what? We have, we have this huge, most expensive military ever in, on the face of the earth, just kind of meandering around looking for things to do without a strategy. And so to, to me... Am I missing? I mean, I, I know I'm only lieutenant colonel here, Doug, but am I missing something? To me, the strategy should be there that that's what we build from to build success. So, I mean. Well, truthfully, I, I, I would argue we've never done it. And if you go back to the Second World War, our performance in that war was not some brilliant achievement. No, conflict, I agree. And I don't blame people like Marshall for that because he inherited something. He did the best he could. If you go all the way back to MacArthur as chief of staff of the army, he tried to establish a system where he could identify talented officers. He created examinations, study programs. He wanted to turn the staff college into something akin to the German war college. And he was, he was obstructed throughout the entire time as chief of staff. And he was ultimately told in an army of 250,000 or 70,000, we're lucky to find uh, 20 or 30 officers who are ever going to meet the requirements that you've stipulated, General. And so, you know, he left there. You know, he had trouble just purchasing a couple of tanks for exploratory tactical exercises. So he had a lot of problems, but the situation didn't improve a lot. And by the time Marshall got there, he had to make uh, virtue of necessity and do a lot of things quickly. And we lost a lot of people as a result of not being adequately trained and prepared. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you read it, there's a great book called advance and destroy Patton and the bulge by a man named Ricards. And if your readers uh, read that, they'll discover that Patton is always throwing up his hands because he says, I can't just run around and relieve people. There just aren't that many people who know what they're doing. It's right. not their fault. We have not trained them. They're not educated. And I think we have the, you know, the, this sort of same complacency affects us now. And others, people tell me in the Navy, it's just as bad. It may be, I don't know. I always thought the Navy had an advantage because you still had to take the ship to sea, keep the water out and the people in. 
that required some degree of technical competence and brains. If you were in an aircraft, you still had to take off and land without killing yourself. So again, that was another IQ test. But we have nothing on the ground, nothing. And I think the generals like it that way. I really do, because that allows them to essentially pick and choose whomever they want and make them fellow members of the GO club. Remember, how many times have you heard? Well, he's a real real war fighter. That guy, we need him. And I would say, who the hell is this? What has he done? Well, he's probably married to someone's daughter who's a four star. You know, it's absurd. No, I've seen I've seen the the way that general officers are picked and uh, the few I've worked with and I've respected Tony Kukolo uh, to, to mention one, Tony and I were in combat together. He seemed to not want to go along with a lot of the, the nonsense and was trying to break out of the kind of mundane, let's just kind of go along, get along. But that brings me to the next point, Doug, is this arrogance of culture that you just mentioned uh, one form of arrogance. You have these general officers who presume, presume to know, Hey, this guy's better than another because you know, reasons, and we have this now infestation within our thinking at the strategic level at the Pentagon, not only Army, but the entire the entire joint staff. And they're, they're constantly projecting our values onto other cultures, uh, especially regarding Russians. I, I, this constant messaging about, oh, well, you know, Tony Blinken and all these guys, well, they must be reacting this way. No, they're not going to react this way. And the dismissal of, of Putin's grievances constantly, like, oh, that's we're, we're, just don't worry about that. Yeah, he's been saying the same thing for almost 20 years, but he doesn't really mean it. Of course he means it. And uh, this the level of complete detachment from reality is, is mind-boggling. I mean, I'm an intelligence officer. My job is to assess and make recommendations to how an adversary is going to do something or not do something so that we can then be a, there ahead of them. I don't know how many times, Doug, you can uh, that I've been I've made cogent recommendations based on what the outcome is likely to be and ignored because, well, it doesn't meet our political framework. And that's my my question to you. You know, uh, we seem to have uh, not only this dismissal of reality for what it is because it doesn't match the narrative of the political class. I would argue people like Milley, Mark Milley have become politicians in uniform. They're more concerned about their their next job, their corporate a position than they are actually doing their job. And in the case of, of Milley, I think he's almost become a Trotskyite. Uh, and, and my question to you is, is it, when he talks about white rage, is that because he's got hemorrhoids or does he actually have a legitimate claim to being a Marxist? Uh, well, I wouldn't uh, want to guess and confirm the first option. <laughs> uh, but I, I suspect that he's just someone who's doing what he's done throughout his career. My experience on active duty taught me that the vast majority of people that are advanced to the rank of general officer are people that are uh, go along, get along people that question nothing, that simply repeat whatever the boss says and uh, have this positive attitude that uh, everything can be done and let's just work ourselves to death some more and the general will be a success. If he's a success, we're a success. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know what you do about it unless you have a fundamental overhaul and change the people. You know, Marshall said, I did not change the culture of the United States army. I changed the people and the people changed the culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we have to understand. And, uh, you know, I hate, hate to say it, but I don't see much hope for most of the people at the top these days. And look, you, you know, people respond to the incentive structure. They ask themselves, well, who's the success story? And if you're a young major 
who's ambitious, you look up and say, well, who made it to four stars? Well, you and I could sit here and say, oh, my God, those are some of the worst people I can imagine. Right. That's true. But from the standpoint of the major, he says, well, look at you. How far did you get? You know, why should we listen to you? I mean, listen, this is the sort of thing that goes on. It's the only time you get changes, you know, when you have a real emergency, and that's what Marshall confronted. And he wasn't always right in the people that he picked. He couldn't waste a lot of time dwelling on who was perfectly qualified or not. But I'd say about 60 to 70% of the time he was right. Right. We came in late. We didn't have to fight for very long. We never faced the Imperial Japanese armies that were on the continent, which were on the whole much better than the troops we faced in the Pacific. Right. The Navy fell apart because we sank most of it in an attrition war that we fought. And so we, we got away with it in the Pacific, uh, in, in Europe. It was a long, slow slog online, and we took a lot of casualties, and we covered it up. One of yeah. the things that you find out about the bulge we said, oh, the Germans had 200,000 casualties and we had 70,000. When you look at the actual figures just in the bulge, the Germans had 11,000 men killed. You know, 11,000 with some number of about 18,000 casualties total. And we, on the other hand, were at 78,000. Wow. Yeah. Far more killed than the Germans. So, you know, when in doubt, why? Yeah, And we did. We lied a lot during the Second War. And Stimson, when the war was over, he wanted to conduct investigations against Eisenhower, against Bradley, a number of people. It was all dropped. And, you know, I think it was Churchill that said about Montgomery, when you're winning, it, you know, you, it can be said that anything you did was right. Right. And, well, and unfortunately, that's what we've had a problem with. Now, in Korea, Vietnam, things were different. And we didn't win. Yeah. And we didn't win, uh, arguably, in Iraq, although I keep pointing out that people don't understand the futility and stupidity of occupation and trying to export democracy at gunpoint. I, I with you on that. And if you had gone in with a very narrow purpose and executed that and gotten out, nobody would give a damn what happened in Afghanistan or Iraq. But That's, we didn't. Right. No, I, I'm, and I, I've said that about Afghanistan over and over. It's like we long overstayed our... our our ability to, to actually influence things on the ground in a positive way. So let's next, Doug, to go into this real quick, it's back to Ukraine, because so much of what you said applies directly to what we're doing now in Ukraine. And I think there's a complete dismissal of the facts right now. We have spent, according to this little cheat sheet, I've got the table of uh, USA to Ukraine supplemental appropriations, a one hundred and thirteen. $0.4 billion. It's a lot of money. And I, I would argue that's the strategy. Just throw money at it. And then uh, as we go through this and we see these things being used, I've said before, Sun Tzu once said, tactics, before, tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. And I, I tend to believe that's what's going on here because, again, the numbers I'm, I'm looking at here, one of the outlets I listened to regarding Ukraine said, the Russians over the next year are going to produce 1,500 tanks, new, not even going into the reserves there. And and so that's like three uh, tank armies uh, of worth of stuff. And so, and then Ukraine has no hope of, of matching that. So, Doug, how is it the people, and then as, as we're speaking today, Bakhmut is finally fallen, I think, pretty much. And yet somehow people interpret that as, oh no, the Ukrainians are wearing down the Russians. Like, okay. 
how, how is it we're so far apart on what's going on versus what the media is saying about this? Well, it goes back to your original comment. You talked about emotion. Yeah. And uh, people in Washington don't think, they emote. Yeah. And as soon as this uh, began, there were all sorts of utterly false, misleading assumptions made. But the most important thing is everybody emoted and said, oh, this is a wonderful opportunity to wear down and harm and punish Russia. And ultimately, we can force a regime change. You know, we can destroy their economy. So we'll sweep Russia away, the last obstacle to denationalizing Europe, opening borders, importing migrants from Africa, the Middle East, and elsewhere. We can totally destroy Russia as we have had so much success destroying much of Europe and, oh, by the way, our own country. <laughs> yeah. Well, there were problems with those assumptions and goals, but people emoted. And now you're asking them to step forward and say, gosh, we were wrong. Our assumptions were flawed. No one in Washington ever admits that they're wrong. And they hope that ultimately when this fails, and it will, and it falls apart, that, you know, we'll walk away and they can turn to the media that is obedient to their orders and say, change the subject. Right. Let's talk about something else and hope that the American electorate forgets because Americans are very good at forgetting what they don't care to remember. Right. So, you know, it's, it, it really is emotion in the worst possible way. Well, to that point, Doug, I mean, we've only got about a minute left to, to go to the, the end up, stop our first half here is the fact that uh, so much of what you just laid out is uh, essentially uh, a policy that will result in catastrophic failure, not only of our military strategy, but of our economy, because so much of what's going on right now is damaging. I mean, the more you have to, to pay to a third country, you know, you, you fund all this, you're, you're taking loans out, you're devaluing the dollar, you're actually, you know, all this quantitative easing. Uh, Doug, I don't think people fully understand how much all this printing of money is damaging their own wealth. And well, it's you, realize, you realize, Tony, that that effectively happened after the Vietnam War, that LBJ managed to do the same kind of damage. Hmm. And the damage was so severe that Nixon took us off the gold standard. Right. I because remember that. If we, if we had remained on the gold standard, we would have eventually had to default. So he took us off, which allowed us to, quote unquote, print money. But we were also a different nation. We had a large manufacturing base that we had not yet exported overseas. We had a large population of skilled labor. And they had people that wanted to work. And we were very homogenous. And we were still very nationalistic. Right. You put all those things together. Now, let's look at the United States today. That country is gone. We live in a very different country. So the, the problem is that, yes... We are going to confront financial collapse. It's coming. It's nearer than most Americans realize. And when it strikes, suddenly everything that's happening beyond the borders of the United States will become meaningless. So and we will focus here at home. Yeah. God help Washington when that starts. So, Doug, that's where we have to cut it off uh, on that high note for the first <laughs> half of the first half of our show. But look, uh, Doug, I appreciate your being here. Uh, this has been a great uh, uh, overview of the scope of military and strategic issues that we're facing or not facing, I should say. And so we're going to take a break right now. Uh, this is The Hard Truth of Tony Schaefer, and we'll be right back.
Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Are you worried about spike proteins and how they may impact your health? Are you looking for help? The Wellness Company has an answer in the form of our clean, pure, all-natural spike formula developed by experts like Dr. Peter McCullough. The Wellness Company's spike formula includes the incredible natokinase, dandelion root, black sativa extract, green tea, and iris sea moss. Even better, the spike formula by The Wellness Company is vegan, gluten-free, and made right here in the USA, so you know that you can trust and rely on it if you're concerned about spike proteins. Buying American-made naturalistic ingredients of this quality separately costs over $100. Our spike formula is only $65.99. Get Spike Formula today by going to twc.health. Outloud listeners use the code OUTLOUD at checkout for an additional discount. Go to twc.health, promo code OUTLOUD, and get peace of mind if you're concerned about spike proteins. AmericaOutloud.com if you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought, working hard to earn your trust for seven incredible years and counting. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. This is the hard truth. We're going to share it for Powered by Six Hour. Never settle. I had a choice of what I carried in combat. I always carried the best. Incredible Tonight, today, I'm actually highlighting my semi green tea and iris sea moss. Even better, put together M11 A1, which is a version of what I carried in combat. I now own. So you know that you can trust and rely on it. If you're concerned about spike protein, want a weapon that can be reliable. Never settle for anything other than Six Hour. Costs over $100. Our Spike Formula is only $65.99. Get Spike Formula today by going to twc.health. Outloud listeners use the code OUTLOUD at checkout for an additional discount. Go to twc.health, promo code OUTLOUD, and get peace of mind if you're concerned about Spike Protein. Chris Cordani, the vivacious Elizabeth Breitenkamp, and the ever-tan and happy Tanya Miller from Hawaii. So here we go. Uh, that was an interview we had with Doug McGregor. We were talking about his new book, newest book, Margin of Victory, the five battles that changed the face of modern war. And uh, we talked about the context of our own strategy uh, within the United States, what has worked and has not worked regarding the last few wars and putting it in context of Ukraine and uh, what we're doing in Ukraine. I did mention to Doug, and I think it's something worth noting. We have spent, at this point, $113 billion 
on Ukraine. Ukraine, notably, is not a member of NATO. Uh, there's been no specific strategic interests expressed or uh, noted that I'm aware of relating to why we're spending the money and what we're trying to achieve other than annoying the Russians and trying to, in some instances, according to mm -hmm. Joe Biden, uh, engage in, uh, in removing Putin from power, which, you know, again, I'm not sure where, what the value is of that. Can I put ultimately, that in context, Tony? I want to put that well, in context. Uh, well, ultimately, ultimately, it's all emotional. So go ahead, right. give, give the context, Chris. Well, I want to give your context of the $113 billion, Tony. Yeah. This is $13 billion more than what Dr. Evil intended to hold the entire world ransom for. We just flipped away in taxpayers' money to Ukraine. That's right. I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm, right. I am joking. I'm not joking. Yeah. Well, and, mm -hmm. and no cat to go along with it either. So Right, no. right. So, uh, well, that's the thing. So uh, what, why is it, why is it, well, let's, go around, let's go around the room. Why is it that we have so many politicians completely devoted to Ukraine and funding their effort without regard to the reality we're facing regarding fact russians probably going to win so anybody want to throw in on that i can get my only guess is uh i, I don't have an educated as the, the military expertise and experience as some of you do but it just seems to me that that's propaganda and it's too uh nobody's going to go out alone so whatever the narrative that's being shaped there's always going to be certain politicians and certain people that are going to follow what leads their lead they're led to. And so I just think that they're not, not everyone is strong enough to stand up and ask these questions and bring up these points on long-term strategy. What do we gain from this? How do, what, what is this going to entail? Um, but that's my first get go is like, they're just not that strong. Not all of them are that strong enough or willing to um, be that strong of a character to go up against what they can tell is the propaganda. I mean, the media is leading us into what's going to happen. It, it's pretty clear. It's always set an, an ahead of time in advance. So it, it just seems that's yeah. what it reads to me. I don't know. So, you know, I um, I always revert back to classic children's stories that were really not meant just for children. I always go back to the Emperor's New Clothes. Do you remember that? Does anybody remember I, I that? that? I heard that in, yes. during Drag's, uh, Drag Queen is, Story Hour. There it's a great, oh, thanks. That's nice. But anyway, so it's a great metaphor. You know, the whole point is that the king, I, I think a lot of what they're doing in in Washington, all the people are just throwing money in it. Like you said, it's emotional and people don't want to stand up and rock the boat. So in the emperor's new clothes, the emperor says, I, you know, he's so self-centered. He's so arrogant. He says, I want something beautiful. So these guys come in and they trick him. They deceive him and they say, only people with really fine taste, people, you know, upper crust will be able to see your clothes. They're invisible. The, they create nothing. But they say, oh, these clothes are so beautiful. They're so exquisite. Only, only really fine people can see this. The dude is walking down the street naked. But nobody. This is a story about Joe Biden. Nobody, yes. Nobody has the nerve to say, oh, he's naked. He's naked. Because they're afraid that they'll be seen as Oprah. a fool. I'm Oprah. not going to point out the obvious. But this little boy in the back comes up and says, he ain't wearing no clothes. He basically, you know, slightly different version. But, but it's a great metaphor showing how all these people just fall in line and they 
the obvious is right there, but it takes a little boy. And so my kind of analogy is Trump was a little boy who stepped in. He's from the outside. He doesn't fit in with these people. And he's like, he ain't wearing no clothes. You, you guys need to set this straight. And so, yeah, I think it's that. They're, they're so afraid to rock the boat. And that's one of the main reasons why they really hate Trump so much. So, not all of them, but a lot of them. It's like, Most of them. no. He wants to rock the boat, you know, the uh, even the Republicans. I can't say it's just the Democrats, but the, you know, the guys who have been there forever, they don't want to lose their pensions. They don't want to, you know, anybody kick them out of their their seats. They right. love the power. And they, yeah, and they don't want to rock the boat. Um, it's crazy. It's right. also like what he said about we need to reassess everything we're doing. And so I was thinking, well, how, how would you, uh, Tony, since you're a lieutenant colonel, how would you reassess what we're doing in Ukraine? Well, you know? like I said, I mean, look, first off, uh, accept the reality. A whole reexamination. Well, no, that's what the first thing you do is accept the reality for what it is, not what you want it to be. And I think that's one of the things that's 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 painfully clear. And, and Doug and I went through several examples where, uh, and you guys know, certain things I've said in the public and, and been a whistleblower on. It's like, yeah, we were saying these things were coming, and yet everybody ignored us. And yet we're the ones to blame. It was an intelligence failure. It wasn't an intelligence failure. It was a policy failure based on a, a, a presumption of, a, of a, an interpretation of the world that did not exist. The, right. Or in, uh, even worse in some cases where you had elements of the government wanting to per perhaps open door for certain things to happen, to fund certain things, to allow things to happen because, gee, why would we worry about actually defending the American people? We have to have something to do. We have to have something with this for this big military industrial complex to do, to be funded. Right. And I think that's one of the issues. Chris, you're going to jump in on, on this. Well, next? It, it was, it's that's, that's beneath the surface and people, right. people don't care what's beneath the surface. We also know that NATO yeah. loves the idea of uh, maybe locking, uh, locking Russia out of the Atlantic. And of course, access to the Arctic ocean is we're looking to, as NATO is looking to uh, bring in Finland as well. Right. Uh, along with Ukraine. That, that's, a, that's a deeper issue. But what people see is what the media tells them they see. And I'm, I'm going to say it again, like mm -hmm. I said one week before, uh, what they, what they, all they seem to care about is what a rather unwise woman said. A bigger country attacked a smaller country, and a bigger country shouldn't <laughs> attack a smaller country because a smaller country oh shouldn't God. be attacked by a bigger country. And oh it's not nice God. for a bigger country to attack a smaller country. It's easy to, make, uh, it's easy to show v Vladimir Putin as the, as the villain because... Well, basically, well, he's already written a manifesto against NATO in the first place. They want him to be a villain. So the right. easiest way you to didn't, do it, watch what he did and make him look like a big, bad bully. You're supposed to say that in a very condescending voice. Like you're talking to children. Yeah, anyway, that's the only difference. Well, no, I, I, I think Jean-Luc Picard, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, whatever her name is, is all, all over the map constantly on this stuff. But that is my next point, is that there's this arrogance, to your point, uh, Elizabeth, they mm -hmm. project this. It's it. Yeah. We say it. It must be so. Therefore, <laughs> if we say it, it has to be true, no matter what you think. And mm -hmm. so it's this this projection of 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 their values. Not our. These aren't our mm -hmm. values. I mean, I, I can comfortably say all of us here on our show are of a different mind than the administration. And <laughs> the way that they go about it, though, is that when they say something. They will dismiss Putin, as I mentioned in, in the interview with Doug. Doug, you know, Putin's been saying the same thing since the early 2000s. Like, hey, don't NATO, don't expand. Don't come east. Uh, don't uh, presume upon us that you can just do whatever you want in areas that we used to hold. 
because we, the Russians, have concerns. A paranoia, if you will. It goes back to Catherine the Great. It is what it is. And mm -hmm. the more they ignore what the Russians believe to be valid uh, concerns, the more we prompt the, their reaction. And in some ways, you can almost postulate that because we have been so arrogant and ignoring what they're saying, uh, we help contribute to the current war. And, and I know that people are always say, well, oh, if you say that, you're pro-Russian. I'm not pro-Russian. I spent uh, most of my professional career fighting the Russians in the Cold War. So I don't mm -hmm. want to hear this, uh, oh, you're pro-Russian, because I'm not. And that's but the propaganda. That's the propaganda. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. You're right. Yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned the industrial, military industrial complex. Sorry to interrupt, Tony. Yeah, no, you're right. But that's where the bravery, they don't, <clears throat> it's not just bravery. It's a, what are they giving up? Like Elizabeth brought up, you know, it's like, what, what are they giving up? You know, there's the money and the military industrial complex. It's the narrative. And so it's not just the bravery. It's a, it, it's, it's also the character, but mm -hmm. if they, if mm -hmm. because of the emotion, it's like they're riding that wave. They're just built up that narrative. They ride the wave. And then it's like, who's going to be brave enough to be the one that's going to shout out the obvious, right? Like your story. Yeah. And, the, like the and little who's going to be brave enough? Yeah. And so, and then and they can count on that once, if the truth were to come out, because back in the day, you used to be afraid. Just like you wanted to be on the right side of history and you wanted in journalism and you wanted to be able to do that. Well, nowadays it's like, they're going to be saved. They're going to be rescued. They're just going to follow the next thing because they easily forget like uh, Colonel McGregor brought up, they easily forget. And so yeah. we just follow the next, uh, whatever the next lead and distraction story is. So, you know, right. kind of count on that a little bit. Well, well the other, the other, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. No, I didn't mean to the, the other thing is the, the, what's not obvious because it's easy to talk about what's obvious out there. We can point out the obvious, what's not obvious and what could get people emotionally riled up is, uh, are a few things that the, uh, mainstream media and the administration is trying to hide. And yes, when asked about this, they blow it off. You saw, you know, I, I've seen Kirby and Karine Jean-Pierre blow these things kind of uh, blow these things off. Uh, but mm -hmm. the idea is, the idea is we're in the middle of a pension and retirement crisis right. while taxpayer money from America and Americans who are, <laughs> many of them are part of this or, or are going to be suffering from this crisis are paying pensions for Ukraine, for people in Ukraine. This right. is something we just cannot do. And and now, and of course, Zelensky has repeatedly said he wants American, young Americans to come and fight for Ukraine and, and, and put their lives on the line. How is this getting so me, sold to the American people? How is this even possible? Well, that's it's the thing. crazy. Well, that's why we're here. We're supposed to be educated. Yeah. And Tanya, that point, that's why we're, so yeah. let me walk through those two points real You're quick right. and let you guys comment on it. For, first off, on the issue, Tanya, you just brought up regarding uh our young men. Look, there's nothing in the world at this point that would require any young U.S. citizen to go fight anywhere. There's, there's just nothing there at this point. Everything we're talking about can and should be dealt with either diplomatically or economically. There's no, there's no reason. Let me be very clear. As someone who's been in combat, there's no reason at this point for us to be in combat anywhere. It's just not. It's not. It's there's nothing there right now. There's nothing to mm -hmm. be gained by using military force as a lead uh, uh, policy going and trying to solve issues where we the United States have to deal with. That's the bottom line. And, and that's just mm -hmm. it is what it is. Secondly, so much of what's going on, though, Tanya, goes back to the fact that as we print money to to meet these obligations, this 113. Do you think that we that we taxpayers paid for that? Well, we did part of it, but most of that mm -hmm. 113 billion 
came out of money the Federal Reserve printed. It's it's it just it just they just printed out of thin air, and that's where uh, right now we mm. have a government who spends more almost a double of what it it, it, it takes in regarding revenue. And Tanya, every time they de- do that, the very revenue they generate is devalued because the value of the dollar goes down and the, right. the value of what you, Elizabeth, Chris and I do, the value mm-hmm. of our work goes down because they pay us in dollars. Those dollars are not worth as much. This is a cycle that's been set up to Doug's point going back to Nixon that this yeah. has been horrible. And so, you know, you could go out and buy a, a Big Mac for 74 cents and 74. What's it cost now? Almost $4? Think about that. And that's oh, yeah, what's yeah. happened. But yeah, yeah. Everything's more expensive. Baby formula is hard mm-hmm. to get. Everything. But, so but Liz, I, I read somewhere. Is, but the point yeah. is, but this has been done system, systemically. They've yes, it has been. Yeah, you're system. right. Yeah. Look, it's kind of like the whole, the whole once again, the metaphor of putting a frog in a pot of boiling water. He's going to jump out. But if he's sitting in a pot of nice cool water and it gradually over a long period of time gets warmer and warmer, he doesn't re- recognize it. And exactly. And so many people, right. so many people in America, like you, like, um, Tanya was saying they don't dig deeper. They don't dig deeper to see what's really going on. Say so that they just like they're oblivious. Like, oh, I'm just going to go to my job and do my thing and vote for the wrong person. And yeah, they don't realize that it's happening systematically, especially when they realize they can get into the education. That's why they push so hard to get all this woke crap in elementary schools first they had in high schools then they get elementary schools now they're in pre-k because they know what they're doing yeah it's just exactly well we know what we're doing right now we're doing yes take. we're tony's trying to educate do. people it is that time it, it is, is time for time. tony's take that's brought to you by sig sour Alrighty. and i never settle that's why i um always i never, I never settle, settle for uh, you don't settle sig sour doesn't settle and i don't settle for poor questions but I do have I do have to bring this up, and I know it's I know people will say maybe it's too early. The fact is, uh, the the killing the shooting in Nashville was interesting yeah. for a lot of reasons, and mm-hmm. not the least of which were the anti gun people, the gun control people, uh, drag, dragging on grabbing onto this, and and the administration blaming the evil mean Republicans and those people who want to uh, own a rifle and go hunting. Uh, the thing where I might be exaggerating that point, however. Um, I the, the, I want your take on this. Sure. The um, there, there were a few things, a few points to this. Uh, obviously, okay. the shooter was the shooter is a, an alphabet person. Okay, that's the best way to put it. Um, um, she's a trans. She's had she has serious mental issues and probably stemming from a, a lot from. And she was on the spectrum. She was on the autistic spectrum too. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, the problems I saw were the um, the, um, the the alphabet the alphabet. Uh, advocacy groups were, were worried about their image. Right. Then you had the administration jumping on this for gun control. Does anybody care what really happened to uh, the kids, the teacher, the, the, uh, the staff there? And of course, about people with these serious mental illnesses uh, go- walking around free and without help. So, um, by the way, if anybody's interested, my pronouns are apocalypse now, just uh, if anybody's curious. And gotcha. to that point, to that point, Anybody who comes in with pronouns has a a take on the world, which is uh, not productive to being part of a positive Mm -hmm. society. And I think that's where this all goes back to, Chris. The the person, the woman, the girl, I don't know what you want to call her, that she was deeply flawed because she had mental health issues. 
and she was actually in, in therapy. Uh, they were talking today in the news at the time of our taping that she had purchased legally seven weapons despite the fact she was under psych psychiatric care. Okay. You know, uh, what does that mean? Well, that means it wasn't the guns. That means the fact is that she had issues with her perception of reality. Gee, we've been talking about perceptions of reality all day today. And, mm -hmm. and this one at the micro level was one which uh, became uh, too, too much of a burden for her. Her last comments to one of her friends, apparently on Instagram, was, uh, I can't deal with life. I want to end it. Well, that's, that's pretty much what she did. Mm -hmm. And the fact is that the issue here is mental health, not guns. And right. the fact that, that you have the, the progressive left turning people into victims. So and in this case, they've actually been putting forth, Chris, the idea that violence is an acceptable tool to mental uh, instability. It's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, her, it's, not, it's not her fault she was pushed. And you Christians are all bad, so you deserved it. That's what they've been saying. That's what I've been hearing. Mm -hmm. And you, you watch some of these comments that are on uh, that are all over social media. Um, they're, they're saying saying that these the political left. It. It, yeah, the political, the political left, left has accepted a violence as a as a, an acceptable form of political speech. Right, and this not long after the mm. uh, the alphabet community pushed forth a trans day of vengeance to be set mm. for April first. Mm -hmm. Oh, people, April first. That's a good day. Mm. Yeah. We, 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 it's often said by the left that people on the right use words to insinuate uh, violence. The fact is, what's been going on is they've been doing the same right. thing. I mean, right. especially since 2000. We already right. heard uh, uh, the likes, of, uh, longer than that, but we've already heard the likes of, um, oh, what was that, Aunt, Aunt Esther from Sanford and Son, the congresswoman out of uh, Los Angeles, who, South Central Los, Los Angeles, who said that, uh, who told people to burn cities down, burn things down, and uh, and, and make oh, them yes. think a big Maxine ruckus, Waters. that sort of thing. Maxine yeah. Waters. Maxine Waters, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, and, and she's not the only one. There was a whole, no. Nancy mm -hmm. Pelosi, and the, these are people who have constantly told people to do these things, and then they hide behind, they, hide, they, they just hide in the corner and say it didn't really happen when, uh, when, when their words come to fruition, I will say. Mm-hmm. And okay. so that's where I think the lady that, um, well, sorry, um, the disturbed individual that did this was propagandized, uh, yeah. was a victim of being uh, led into, like, if we want to look at her as a victim, then she was also a victim, a lot of propaganda and a lot of um, conditioning to toward a hate crime, toward Christians, towards straight people, toward that church, uh, uh, Christian schools toward children. And now you're hearing a lot of hate crime um, talk around children and, and even Jane Fonda mm -hmm. making horrific comments and, and these, these uh, after effect comments. It's just, it's, it's showing you where the community and society can be bent to and toward with enough propaganda and what's justifiable hate crime and what's what's not a justifiable hate crime it's just insanity right and right it wasn't the guns it was a disturbed individual right. i don't care about their sexual spectrum or where they're at nobody does yeah, she, she, yeah. Uh, it, she who wanted to be a he was disturbed and and had problems and it's just too bad that uh, people died and it's, it's too sad. bad that they were led into a hate and it's too bad that they were told that they aren't acceptable that the way that they were and felt that they needed to change and had all the support mm -hmm. to do that and all the support to hate on Christians and all the support to um, turn it toward that and all that angst was turned in that area. So it's just, it's and I yep. find it interesting that Vanderbilt University is also in Nashville who um, make a lot of money off their, the gender uh, oh, yeah. surgeries, by the way. Big business. Mm -hmm. Huge uh, good business. point. So to, That's to a that good point, point real quick, 
part of this is apparently she says her family didn't accept her. You know, I'm sorry that that's tr that if that's true, I feel terrible for her. But that does not give her the right to pick up a weapon and go kill innocent people to make a point. Right. Yeah, and, children. And, and three children. And I think yeah. everybody on this team knows me well enough to know when I say I don't care who you sleep with. I don't care who you sleep with. I really don't. Uh, I, 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 you shouldn't be doing it with children. That's clearly out of bounds. But if you want to, you know, if you if you believe in gerbils, if you love gerbils, and if you know what I mean by loving gerbils, <laughs> go knock yourself yeah. out. Yeah. Go, okay. You know, gerbil power. We're uh, not going to have there. a little flag with gerbils. Go yeah. knock yourself out. But no. but it's not it's not something that that we should be allowing people to be victimized by because oh my gosh, you, you don't agree with my point of view. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to, to actually take out my uh, vengeance on others. That's not acceptable. But the left allows that. The political left allows yeah. for the, the, these groups that they believe uh, are, are uh, victims to uh, be allowed to do whatever they want relating to uh, vi violating uh, the rights of mm -hmm. others. And, and that's not yeah, You're right. Here's a quick mm -hmm. Tony's take. We have a few right, minutes quite. left. Quote right. of the week on, uh, I believe it was Fox News, Senator John Kennedy said, Either Mayorkas believes in open open borders, or he's not qualified to manage a Chuck E. Cheese. What's your take on that? I think he could be one of the Amatron, the robots. He could be like <laughs> the guy drumming in the background <laughs> on Chuck E. Cheese. I wouldn't want I him making. He's my got pizza. the bald head. You know, he could put him. You know, no. Look, I listened uh -huh. to some of that testimony from Senator Kennedy, and literally there are 810 deaths at the border this past year in 2022 of migrants coming mm -hmm. up uh, that that that's that's literally uh, an order of magnitude more than under trump literally uh the and the, the number of encounters is through the roof and the fact is that my orcas is purposely trying to open the border keep it open because the democrats have decided that they believe that illegal immigrants are going to be a permanent underclass that serves to reelect them indefinitely. That's why they're trying to spread these groups all around the nation. And the presumption mm -hmm. is if we can change the demographics, they, it's also called replacement theory, which is like, uh, I don't necessarily like that term, but it's what they're doing. They're trying to get people into all these red districts and undermine uh, the culture. That's what's going on. That's why they're so committed to this. Five million have come in. Five million people have come in since Biden's been president. And I don't know how that's acceptable. Well, they're trying to get them to vote. The other thing they're trying to do, and I'll make this really quick, is yeah. bring in people in the urban areas, the blue areas, where they can actually gain, gain more population to gain mm -hmm. more representation in the House. Mm -hmm. Right. That's another right. thing. So uh, to that point, uh, we have allowed a uh, permanent underclass to establish itself. My Arcus was actually confronted by Ted Cruz during the same hearing where Ted Cruz pulled out little armbands. Um, for those watching, you can see what I'm doing. You, you know, you have these things. But for those listening to us, uh, Ted Cruz had pulled out color-coded bands, little plastic bands, which go on the arms of illegal immigrants that are color-coded to the amount of money they owe the coyotes for uh, for coming across. And wow. Orcas was asked about that, and he didn't know what they were. Now, I, I think he knew what they were, but he lied. Of so, course he knew. Literally, literally... They've allowed uh, an, the industrial uh, uh, industrialization of illegal activities on the border. You have cartels now making uh, headway, bringing human trafficking across, sending little girls and boys into sex trafficking, uh, and then mm -hmm. obviously the drugs and fentanyls are coming across. 
So this is not being done by accident. It's being done by purpose. And God right. bless Kennedy and Cruz for calling it out. So I think that's mm -hmm. it, right? We're, we're out of time, time again. Wow. It's that time. It was so fast. Where, where does the time go? I mean, it's been a quick show as always. So uh, we thank mm -hmm. our audience. We thank you all for being here and supporting us. Uh, we always look forward to your feedback, comments, and other uh, observations. So we're always open to that. We appreciate you all being here. Uh, and, of course, a big shout-out to my friend Cherie Curry, who's still in, on tour in Europe. Thank her for, uh, for allowing us to use Rock and Roll Oblivion. So hopefully we're leaving the oblivion and oblivion and doing uh, better things with our lives now. And again, I've been joined by uh, our great crew of uh, Elizabeth Breckenkamp, Whisker Danny, and Tanya Miller. We'll see you all again real soon on The Hard Truth, powered by Six Hour. Never settle.